you would please follow with the reading of the word of God. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer citizen or strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Lord, uh, the amazement that I have when I continue to read through this letter. And yet, Father, I pray in my feebleness, that my friends will hear you, that they will understand what has happened at their salvation. And Father, to understand that at one point in time, everyone in this room was without hope and had no idea of the covenant promises and were without God. But now, Father, the work that you did when it is finished, as we sang, is the miracle of the redemption of fallen man. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen. We are about to conclude chapter 2, believe it or not. And we are looking at it from the perspective, as Paul has laid it out, at one time we were alienated apart from Christ. I mean, you may have been a morally good person. You may have been nice. You may not have been. But it still doesn't matter. You still had no hope. There was nothing you were going to do to, quote, unquote, please God. I told you a friend of mine who was in prison for vehicular homicide told me one time that uh, she had made peace with God. And I told her that that's not the issue. Has God made peace with you? All right. And that you and I never had any ability whatsoever to accomplish that. Can do it. I don't care what you did. I don't care how nice you were. I don't care if you remembered everybody you know and sent them birthday cards. 
I don't care. It is irrelevant. I don't care if you showed up at church on Christmas and Easter, just like I was supposed to. It doesn't matter. You were apart. You were hopeless. You were alienated. The only unity comes is when you have peace with God. Then you have the peace of God. Once you have the peace of God, guess what? You're immersed in hope. Okay? We have peace. And I, and I, I look at salvation, the first thing I always think of, and, and, and we miss this as Christians. The first thing is that I have peace with God. Okay? And it ain't because of me and my bubbly, effervescent personality. Alright? It is because Jesus Christ hung on a cross to pay my penalty. But you know what happens next? That you don't even understand? You now have peace with men. You know what's weird about that? All of them. I don't care how rude they are. I don't care how annoying they are. You have peace with all of them. You know why I say that? God is a friend to man. If he wasn't a friend to man, then why did he send his son? Okay? Not only is he a friend to man, it says he is friend of sinners. Oh my! I've had people say, well, you seem to have a lot of friends who are sinners. I said, you should have seen me before Christ. <laughs> okay? This is something that we miss. We, you know, I want to hang out with Christians. That's fine. I know some sinners I'd rather hang out with. But I want you to understand when you think that God so loved the... It doesn't say the elect. He loved the world that he sent his son. That whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what's amazing. That is what's amazing. We have peace. And it, it is staggering to me that there are no divisions. There are no separations. And what we're dealing with here in verses 19 through 22, the Apostle Paul gives us Three pictures, okay, analogies if you want to. He wants you to kind of get a handle on this. Remember, he looked in chapter 1 and we saw what God's redemptive plan was before creation. He already had a plan, okay? We saw that. But he says, you know what? You guys can't handle this. So in verse 18, he says, I pray. That you understand this. Then in chapter 2, he begins, he says, this is what salvation looks like now. Absolute unity. A supernatural miracle. Alright? Then he gives you a summary here in verses 11 through 22. Or not a summary. He shows you the unity of the body and then... There in 19 through 22, he says, let me show you these pictures so you get an idea. But you know what happens in chapter 3? He prays that we get it. Because you know what? It's hard. It's hard. If you ever deal with unbelievers, there's times... I've dealt with what I call mixed marriages. 
one's saved, one's not. And the, the, there's always an underlying conflict. You can't get rid of it. It's impossible to get rid of it. They serve two masters. So everybody's, the two, the priorities ain't the same. All right. So some of you work in secular world and you have to deal with unbelievers. And you sometimes realize that you have absolutely nothing in common. I've seen marriages that are that way because it's a mixed marriage. All right. But here's the thing that I want to share with you as you are out in the world. Okay. We all go out. We all deal with Yahoo. Right. When I deal with a believing spouse who is married to an unbeliever, I tell the believing spouse, understand this. It is impossible for that person to walk in Christ or in Christ's nature. So don't expect it. When you're dealing with the world, guess what? Don't expect it. Don't expect it. All right? Because, listen, I have peace with God. And, you know, I can look at people and I look at them and I say, how pitiful that you don't. And I've said that a time or two. It never really worked that well, but I've said it. So he wants to give you a picture. All right? Verse 19. So then. Okay? Uh, it's, it's the word that we translate sometimes, therefore. Because of what I've said. Because he has brought unity in Christ. Because once you were all alienated, he says, therefore, you are no longer strangers. Strangers, I shared this last week, are the dregs of society. You don't want, you will walk across the street so you don't have to pass them. Okay. But then he says, aliens or sojourners. Okay. That means you're a house guest. That means you're not offensive enough to me that I, you can come in and you know want you want a banana? I'll give you a banana. Okay? You can come into my house and I'll feed you. We can converse. But you're not part of the inheritance of the house. Okay? That's what we looked at last week. But there's also the household of God cuz now we have our citizenship. We are fellow citizens with the saints. Note that With the saints, I don't have to have a group of people deciding after my death whether I'm a saint or not. I am already a saint, a holy one. We are of God's, then he says there at the end of verse 19, and are of God's household. God's household. Okay, I'm not just, I'm not a stranger anymore. I'm not just a house guest. Okay, I'm allowed to be there. I'm supposed to be there. We are family. Now, you think about that for a second. God loves us so much that he wasn't satisfied in making us citizens of heaven. But he made us sons of the Most High God. That's amazing to me. That is absolutely amazing to me. 
I just, I remember, I got to go back to the illustration. You've heard me use it before. Years ago, Time Life magazine had a picture of John F. Kennedy sitting in the Oval Office and that great big, it's, it's, the desk has a name. I've never named any of my desks, but this one has a name. And there's a little door in the front of it. And that door was popped open and John John was crawling out from under the desk of the president. And I thought, now, that's kind of cool. You know, I'm hanging out in the Oval Office. Dad's the president. And you know what? John John could care less. That dad. That's absolute dad. I remember one time talking to Dr. MacArthur's son. He played uh, baseball for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And he said that when he was growing up, he says, I could never understand why everybody wanted to sit and listen to my dad. And he said, he said, it's just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. They all just want to sit and listen to him. And he says, they wanted to buy his books and they wanted to do all this. And I was like, but it's just dad. All right. Guess what? I can call God Abba. That's a, an Arabic word for Papa. If you're saved today, you can call God Daddy. That should just make you go, whoa. <laughs> we are fellow heirs. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was a faithful as a son over his house, whose house are we? Then he gives you a qualifier. I must share this. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Okay. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus says he is not ashamed to call us brothers. That's amazing. So we are not only just citizens of heaven. We are with the ruling family. Heirs to the ruling family. We are joint heirs. We are sons of the Father. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 15. I'll get into this in detail. In the future. (laughs) It says this. Alright listen. Verse 14 is the context. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Whom. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay. Now I've heard some weird things try to tot out of that. If you're into universalism that says that everybody gets saved. Well, that's not what that text says. Because in the context of the book, it's basically saying, guess what? If you're saved today, truly saved today, you got family right here. Did you know that? But you also got family in heaven. Okay, you ever thought about it? King Solomon is on the same footing as every one of us who believe. Just an idea. I wonder if I can go fishing with Elijah. I wonder if there's any fishing in heaven. (laughs) I may be the only one up there with a pole. (laughs) And they all be looking, why has he got a pole? (laughs) Okay. But you see what I'm trying to get at? We are family. 
And every family on heaven and earth derives its name. The whole family. You know, I've got some relatives I ain't never met in heaven. It's totally awesome. I got some family running around the hills of Kentucky I've never met either. <laughs> but we won't go there. <laughs> that's, that's some crazy people out there. I, I got a cousin who blew up the sheriff's car with dynamite and blew the so much dynamite he blew the front porch off the sheriff's house. But they released his brother from jail that afternoon. <laughs> I mean, message taken. So, you know, that's that kinfolk thing. But you see what I'm trying to get at? We have, no, we're not going to run around blow up houses. <laughs> Come on. We, I watch people struggle to get, to belong. I watch people struggling with, you know, you know how goofy that is? I listen to people say, well, who's your accountability partner? Every child of God. Every child of God. Okay? That, that's my accountability. But you know what's really cool about it? I'm your accountability partner. <laughs> so I've had somebody say that. I said, well, doesn't it bother you, everybody looking at you? No, nah, because I'm looking at them. <laughs> so, you know. We were alienated. Now we are not only citizens of heaven, but we are family. Think about that. Let that roll around in your head for a while. Jesus is your brother. That, that causes my gray matter to kind of groan. Do you understand why I try to tell people? Do you understand the miracle of your salvation? I watch people running around looking for miracles all the time. And I'm sitting there going, get saved. There is no greater miracle ever. To make you a citizen of heaven. To make you part of the family of God. If God can accept Every one of us, guess what? We should accept one another too. Amen? Every one of us. Not only that, we should be at peace with those who don't know our king. That perhaps we would be the tool that God opens their soul. I know there's some would say, yes, but I know this about such and such. I just don't know. Let me question. You got people in your life that are that way that you know things and you're just not that. What does God know about them? He knows about things you don't know about. And guess what? He still loves them. I will tell you that if you have a brother or a sister that you feel distant with, then the problem is you. Okay? Well, but you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand what you did to Christ. And he still loves you. Okay? It is, you know, 
it is it is easy to look at somebody and say, ah, I just don't get along with them. You know what? Go check out the mirror. Okay? Just go look in that mirror. It'll all be crystal clear. Not only that, but we are citizens of heaven. We are in the family of God. But then he says, we are being fitted into a holy temple. Okay, now there's something that is amazing in this section that will bore you out of your minds, but I like this kind of stuff. Okay, each of these sections that I just went through in, in verses 11 through the end of the chapter, each section is followed by a word in the original language, okos. Okos. And what it does, it all connects together. Okay? So it is connected to the word alien and strangers and household and building and citizenship. It all, all of that is tied straight together. You have moved from these the dregs of the world to the maybe a house guest to now you are a citizen that's all hooked together. And because you're a citizen, now you are in the family. And now that you are in the family, you are being fitted together as a temple. And it just, it just links them all together, all together, all together, all together. You're not, well, you know, I got out. I'm not a house guest anymore. I made it into the kingdom, but that's as far as I got. Nope, don't work that way. Don't work that way. Paul is using these three metaphors from being in the kingdom to being in the family to being a holy temple. Okay? Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Right? So, this thing that we are being built in, in what I calling the unity of the body, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Okay, now, I want you to think about something. That's hard for us to learn. Uh, I used to build houses, and uh, we didn't use cornerstones. I tell you what, I never did find a square foundation in all the years I built. Uh, and so, I just, you know, <laughs> that's why it was made out of wood. I could... <laughs> You can rack it and then get a big enough nail and a wedge. I can move that sucker around here. Okay, it'd, it'd be better. Okay. When I was in Azerbaijan, there's companies. Azerbaijan is a small country. And if you go up north, then you can run into a quote-unquote forest. But they don't have a lot of trees. Okay. Uh, when you get down where Baku, the capital is, or go down south toward uh, Iran, uh, you're looking, closest thing you got to a tree is a palm tree. Okay, and I, I don't know if you can build a house with a palm tree or not. <laughs> I, I guess if you wanted a small one. But anyway, the big, one of the big businesses in the country, besides oil, is making stone blocks. Okay? About every house that I saw is made out of stone. And, it, and, and the guy told me, he sat there and he said, you know what? You can, you can make about an 1,100 square foot home for about $8,000. Of 
Okay, now you got to do it and you got to stack the suckers up and, and all the rest of it. I mean, I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing it. I mean, it's, wow, man, you can get, no, man, that's backbreaking because it wouldn't be bad if you had a little short people house. But if you were trying to get an eight foot ceiling in there, about right here, I bet those stones weigh a bunch. Okay, because they're all about, if you took the width of this, this way, and that height, that's what every stone is. But I thought, you know, you don't have to worry about hurricane. But you know what I found out? There's places in there that you pay big bucks for this one stone. It is the cornerstone. It is absolute perfect 90 degree angles. Because the whole house has to follow that line. And if that thing's crooked, guess what? You don't want a two-story house. Because <laughs> it'll look like the leaning tower of Pisa. You know, look, that one angle was wrong, and it kind of does this. So when they built stone homes in the Middle East, you paid top dollar for the cornerstone because that whole structure has to follow the lines of that cornerstone. Okay, I don't care if it's going that way. I don't care if it's going that way. I don't care if it's going up. Whatever you do, if that thing's crooked, so will everything that follows it. All right. So the cornerstone to a Christian is Christ. All right. The cornerstone has to be accurate. The cornerstone has to be strong. And every block in the structure fits that stone. See what Paul's given us? The cornerstone was the frame of everything. Everything works off the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the support. The cornerstone is the unifier. The cornerstone is the connector. The cornerstone is the strength. That cornerstone is Christ Jesus. Isaiah said, God would lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Peter repeats it. God bless Peter. I'll tell you what. He gets a bad rap sometime, but... He kind of had it figured out. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Well, let's keep the context. 4 and 5. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also are as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, for it is contained in the Scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Peter quotes Isaiah. Okay? And the chief cornerstone was a living stone. You know what that makes us? Living stone. Listen, the cornerstone to those who believe is precious. But to those who don't believe, it is a stone of stumbling. All right? It is a rock of offense. And you know what? It offends today. 
in the United States of America. Please don't kid yourself. All right. They're not hauling us off to jail for preaching the gospel, but the time's coming. The time is coming. Okay. It will not be long when they're going to tell every pastor in every church that if a gay couple comes, you must do their wedding. That's coming. All right. And then I told the Sunday school class, that's perfect because then I'll have a prison ministry. Okay. He is the cornerstone in this building. There are people who are offended by the person of Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Okay, but then he makes this statement, and I watch people do all kind of weird theological yoga or something. And they said, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, I watch people say, see, that's where Bible goes crooked. Because these men, the apostles and prophets... They're the foundation, and that was their opinion. Okay, and they'll use this verse to see there. It's that that's all. That's all wrong. You know what? It's obvious that they've never read it because that's a subjective genitive. Don't you all feel happy? Huh? That's better than a chocolate rabbit on Bugs Bunny Day. Okay, listen. It's not so much that it's the apostles and prophets. That are the foundation because that's a subjective genitive. Okay. It is that they laid following that line off the cornerstone. And that's where the foundation came from. Okay. We, I call it the teaching of the apostles. Okay. Followed the line that was laid by the Lord Jesus Christ as the living cornerstone. They laid, this is going to bore you, but you better get over it. They laid a foundation of doctrine that connected to the person who was the cornerstone. And I get people in church, well, I just don't like doctrine. There's a pastor here in town, he's not here anymore. But he said, he had some people coming to ask him, he got a big church. And they said, well, when are you going to get us some doctrine? He says, doctrine? We don't do doctrine here. You want doctrine, go over and talk to that guy at the Baptist church. And I thought, huh, what is it you do for a living? I believe that every man who gets behind one of these should be a theologian first. Because you guys need to know who this cornerstone is so that you can lead the next line. One of the things that is just amazing to me when in my travels in, in Russia and Central Asia, the kids are eating it up. I remember going when I was in Oriel. Wow. I woke up because your body clock's all jacked up. And I woke up. It's about 5 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And the sun doesn't really show up until about 930. And so I look out my window of this little apartment thing I'm in. And all the lights are on in the fellowship hall of the church. Like across the little patio thing. And I thought, what the heck? So I quick like a bunny, throw on some clothes, and I cruise over there. And this thing is full of kids. Okay? And I'm talking probably six 
yeah, probably fifth or sixth graders up to seniors. Okay. And so I go in and Misha is in there. He's my interpreter. I said, Misha, what in the world's going on? He says, well, the elementary kids are being taught by the junior high kids, the book of Galatians. And the senior high kids are teaching the junior high kids the book of Romans. And I said, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And he said, uh, I said, well, they like, ain't there school? He says, oh, they're doing this before school. And I'm sitting there going, he says, this is the next generation of the church. And I was just sitting there going, wow, because he says, you should bring your youth over. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> Uh, I've done some dumb things in my life, but that ain't on the list. Okay? Because what is that? That's embarrassing. We think our kids don't understand doctrine. And you know why they don't? Because our parents don't. So what are we passing on? You get a little chocolate rabbits at Easter. Everybody knows that. That's Jesus, isn't it? See what I mean? They've laid the foundation of doctrine, and it all connects to the living stone who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? The cornerstone. Watch what he does here. The whole building is being fit together. Okay? The, the foundation that is the doctrine of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus, the living cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into a... Holy temple. The apostles and prophets are part of the foundation. They are the ones who carried the line. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, for other foundations can no man lay than that is laid with Jesus Christ. Okay? And you know what? I know for a fact in understanding the time that I've spent with the Apostle Paul, he understood himself as part of the foundation layer. And he understood how critical it was in that first century that I cut a straight line, man. This has got to be straight because it's going to grow. It's not, it's not like it's a foundation stone but a foundation layer. They laid the foundation. They laid the line to everything to be built on. Uh, in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, Lest I build on another man's foundation. Foundation builder. That's the Apostle and prophets. They strengthen the next row of stones. And the next row of stone. And it's each row of stone needs to strengthen the next row of stone. Needs to the next row of stone. And the next and on and on and on. Listen. The apostles were laying a foundation based on the line of the cornerstone. Christ, the chief cornerstone. The doctrine given to us by the apostles. That is the foundation. Okay. From there. The building goes up. The building goes up. Look in verse 21. In whom the whole building, okay, coming off the cornerstone and the foundation, the whole building is being fitted together. Okay, that verb there, fitted, 
Okay? Means that it's a snug fit. I was in Israel at the Temple Mound, and um, <laughs> I was with a bunch of people that are, uh, they hurt my head, they're that smart. I mean, I was with some archaeologists, and a couple of the guys were engineers and stuff like this, and, and then I'll stand there. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm the shovel operator. <laughs> I just can't figure out where the seat is. But uh, we were in there, and then if you go, if you go to the western wall, the one that you see on the news, uh, where everybody, and then to just this side, would be just to the north of the western wall, there's a synagogue. Okay, that synagogue has access via some viaducts underneath the temple, the temple mound. Now, this makes the Arabs <laughs> really mad because they feel like they're trespassing. I'm like, but they're underneath you. Don't worry about it. You go under there, that western wall, you need to understand something. It, on the temple mound was nothing more than a retaining wall. Okay, and basically it was built all the way around the Temple Mount so that they had a flat surface to put the temple on. Okay, so that's, when you see that, that ain't nothing to do with the temple. Okay, it was a retaining wall. Well, you go under these places and you get in there and you see all of these limestone blocks. Okay, because that's what that is. And I mean, these things are about, uh, uh, probably some between Two and a half to four feet thick. And they're all about um, 30, 20 feet long. Okay? So you're not talking, you know, picking up a brick and setting it up there. All right? They've got stone underneath this thing. Okay? That is stacked up that you rub your hand across it like this where they'd have a block on a block, you can't feel the seam. Okay? And I had a, those little cards, little 355 cards that people carry around to write notes on. I had one of those, and I was trying to stick it in between. You couldn't get it in there. This engineer sitting, sitting there telling, explaining this to me, how many tons this stone lays. And he says, do you know we don't have technology to cut a stone like that today? We can't cut a stone that smooth that it sets upon it. He says, we got lasers, we got high pressure water, we got saw blades, we got diamond blades, and we can't cut a stone and make it fit that tight. And every time I read this, and it says, we are being fitted together, I think about that stone in the Temple Mound, and I was like, you can't move us. And you know what? You can't find the seam between the believers. That's the terminology the Apostle Paul's given us here. Being fitted together. Snug. When God builds His church, it fits. Do you see why I don't embrace church growth programs? Dude, I can swell this place. I can make it that we would have to have out, outer parking. I can do it every Sunday. You know how I'm going to do it? Big screen TV, Denver Broncos, hot dogs and beer. All right? Standing room only. But you know what? There will be a seam. 
God did not build this thing based on marketing. He didn't build it on demographic studies. He built it in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says, I will do this. Chapter 2, look, see? It's compact. It's firm. There's nothing loose. It is solid and it fits snug. Okay, now I want you to think about something here because this one here is going to hurt your head. Ready? Every stone, every stone is fitted perfectly without defect. Did you get that? Perfectly, snug, no defect. No stone is out of place, nor is any stone broken. The church positionally before God is absolutely perfect. You know why? It has to be. Because it grows into the holy temple of the Lord. You can't have it crooked about three quarters of the way up and say, well, the top part would be the holy temple part. But it wobbles. In whom you also are being built together. Verse 22. Did you know that you and I are being built together perfectly as a habitation of God through the Spirit? Hmm. That'll cause you a brain to hurt, won't it? If God is going to build a temple in which He will dwell by His Spirit, then it has to be a perfect temple. Got it? Now then, you want me to give you an illustration? I can. Old Testament. In the temple, God looked upon it, and they had... Some idols stuck around in places. They call it the Ichabod. Idols stuck around in a couple of places. The temple was built by God's plan, right? His dimensions. Solomon did it. Look, there. It's good. Good to go. He saw that it was imperfect. And it says, His glory departed. Okay? Go check out Revelations on the churches of Asia Minor. If you don't change this, what will happen? I will remove my lampstand. That would be the thing that holds up the light. Okay? The only church in that area that has been there and continues from the day of its founding is in Thessalonica. You can go see the ruins of Laodicea, Sardis, Ephesus. You can go around and see them. 
God doesn't dwell in a place that is imperfect. Not fitted together. Think about it. If we are the temple of God, then positionally, guess what? We're perfect. Positionally. We may not act like it. But we are perfect. I have been praying for every one of you who would hear this message that you would grab a hold of this tightly. Our position in Jesus Christ is that we are fellow citizens of his kingdom. We are fellow members of his family. We are living stones built. Together. Together. I made a comment a couple of weeks ago that I don't like people. and everybody. I caught some grief on that, but that's all right. As a lost person, I could take people or leave people. And I did it based on my preference. Okay. As a pastor, you don't get that. Hebrews 13 says that I have to give an account for the souls that are entrusted to me. I filed a complaint about that one, but it didn't do any good. (laughs) But you know what? Every one of you who are saved have to give an account too. Did I strengthen the temple of the living God? Or did I weaken it? What did I add to it? Did I add anything to it? Or did I just assume the position of a rock? Back again, 1 Peter chapter 2. You are also, our living stones are being built. The process is going on up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's us, people. Exact perfection to be the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Okay, now then, can you grab a hold of who you are? Kind of changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? There is no stone broken. There's no stone marred. Nor is there one inadequate. Everyone is perfect, fitted in perfection together by the master builder in his plans that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1. And you know what is really awesome about it? It grows. It grows. New stones, beautiful stones, are added all of the time. New people, all of the time. And one of these days, it'll be finished. And then the Lord Jesus will come and he will take his bride. You know what? What a fellowship. 
What a fellowship. What a beautiful, supernatural unity we have based on the redemptive work of the living cornerstone, Jesus Christ. So, another verse that we will look at in the future. (laughs) Chapter 4. Ephesians. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Okay. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Oh, that's easy. All humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of Peace. What did I tell you? You have peace through Jesus Christ to God. And because of that work, you have peace with all men. Preserve that because it is a bond. You know what a bond is, right? It's like duct tape. We're all duct taped together. And if you get one unruly, it ain't long and it gets down the line. And we are to preserve it because we have peace with God. We have this position. Unity. Absolute. Unwavering. Let's keep it. Paul says in chapter 4. But I would ask that you would live it. Be a friend of man. Each and every man. God is a friend of man. There is none special. God is also a friend of sinners. When a sinner comes to Christ, no matter what their past is, they become fellow citizens. Instantaneously. They become family members. They become living stones in the temple that God, His Spirit, literally dwells. You know what? Listen to me. That is what God thinks of each and every one of you. You got it? You're a citizen. You're a family member. You're a living stone that he's fitting you together with the rest of us so that we will be the temple of God in the spirit. That is the position of every believer. We are one. If you're a believer today, you're one with every believer. Okay? That's your position. Now, you may not act like it. But that's your problem. Please, God, help us to live it. You couldn't start it. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What you've begun in the spirit, you will now perfect in the flesh. No, you won't. (laughs) You even got the instruction manual and you can't do it. That's why we come together to hold each other accountable. Why the, the snugness of us together 
is what causes us to grow. God help us. Father, I come before you, the author and the finisher. Father, I get excited about this. I hope that my friends understand this. Father, this is salvation. This is what it's all about. This is the amazing thing about it. Help us, Father, to have ears to hear. Help us to have hearts that cry out, Abba, Father. Father, we may understand that we are here for such a time as this by your good pleasures. Father, help us to preserve in the bonds of peace the unity of the body of Christ. Father, as we go into your holy week, Father, I pray that our focus is upon that which is done and that, Father, we would understand the privilege of being called a child of the Most High God, being called citizens of heaven, to be called living stones, being built into a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in your holy temple. Thank you, my King, for your times, your suffering, and yet, Father, the power that you did to overcome each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Christ, Christ alone. Amen.